Chapter Two of the Witches of New York by Q. K. Philander Dostics. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two is devoted to the glorification of Madame Prewster of Number Three Seven Three Bowery, the pioneer witch of New York. The individual also herein bears his testimony that she is oily and waterproof. Chapter Two. Madame Prewster, number 373, Bowery. This woman is one of the most dangerous of all those in the city who are engaged in the swindling trade of fortune-telling, and has been professionally known to the police and the public of New York for about fourteen years. The amount of evil she has accomplished in that time is incalculable, for she has been by no means idle nor has she confined her attention even to what mischief she could work by the exercise of her pretended magic but if the authenticity of the records may be relied on she has borne a principal part in other illicit transactions of a much more criminal nature she has been engaged in the witch business in this city for more years than has any other one whose name is now advertised to the public if the history of her past life could be published it would astound even this community, which is not wont to be startled out of its propriety by criminal development, for if justice were done, Madame Prewster would be at this time serving the state in the penitentiary for her past misdoings, but in some of these affairs of hers, men of so much respectability and political influence have been implicated, that, having sure reliance on their counsel and assistance, the madame may be regarded as secure from punishment, even should any of her many victims choose to bring her into court. The quality of her witchcraft, by which she ostensibly lives, and the amount of faith to be reposed in her mystic predictions, may be seen from the history of a visit to her domicile, which is hereunto appended in the very words of the individual who made it. The cash customer makes his first voyage in a shower, but encounters an oily and waterproof witch at the end of his journey. It rained, and it meant to rain, and it set about it with a will. It was as if some Union Thunderstorm Company was just then paying its consolidated attention to the city and county of New York, or as if some enterprising Yankee of hydraulic tendencies had contracted for a second deluge and was hurrying up the job to get his money or as if the clouds were working by the job, or as if the earth was receiving its rations of rain for the year in a solid lump, or as if the world had made a half-turn, leaving in the clouds the oceans and rivers, and those auxiliaries to navigation were scampering back to their beds as fast as possible, or as if there had been a scrub race to the earth between a score or more full-grown rainstorms, and they were all coming in together, neck and neck, at full speed. Despite the juiciness of these opening sentences, the individual does not propose to accompany the account of his heroical setting forth on his first witch journey with any inventory of natural scenery and phenomena, or with any interesting remarks on the wind and weather. Those who have a taste for that sort of thing will find in a modern circulating library elaborate accounts of enough dew-spangled grass to make hay for an army of Nebuchadnezzars and a hundred troops of horse, or of bright-eyed daisies and modest violets, 
enough to fence all creation with a party-colored hedge of early larks and sweet-singing nightingales enough to make musical pot-pies and harmonious stews for twenty generations of heliogabaluses to say nothing of the amount of twaddle we find in american sensation books about hawthorn hedges and heather bells and similar transatlantic luxuries that don't grow in america and never did and then the sunrises were treated to and the sunsets were crammed with and the golden clouds the grand old woods the distant dim blue mountains the crystal lakes the limpid purling brooks the green carpeted meadows and the whole similar lot of affected bosh is enough to shake the faith of a practical man in nature as a natural institution and to make him vote her an artificial humbug so the voyager in pursuit of the marvellous declines to state how high the thermometer rose or fell in the sun or in the shade or whether the wind was east by north or south by west or a little south the dew on the grass was not shining for there was in his vicinity no dew and no grass nor anything resembling those rural luxuries nor was it by any means at early dawn on the contrary if there be such a commodity in a city as dawn either early or late that article had been all disposed of several hours in advance of the period at which this chapter begins but at midday he set forth alone to visit that prophetess of renown madame prewster he was fully prepared to encounter whatever of the diabolical machinery of the black art might be put in operation to appall his unaccustomed soul but as he set forth from the respectable domicile where he takes his nightly roost it rained as aforementioned the driving drops had nearly drowned the sunshine and through the sickly light that still survived everything looked dim and spectral unearthly cars drawn by ghostly horses glided swiftly through the mist the intangible apparitions which occupied the driver's usual stands hailing passengers with hollow voices and proffering with impish finger and goblin wink silent invitations to ride fantastic dogs sneaked out of sight round distant corners or skulked miserably under phantom carts for an imaginary shelter the rain enveloped everything with a gray veil making all look unsubstantial and unreal the human unfortunates who were out in the storm appeared cloudy and unsolid as if each man had sent his shadow out to do his work and kept his substance safe at home the individual travelled on foot disdaining the miserable compromise of an hour's stew in a steaming car or a prolonged shower-bath in a leaky omnibus being of burly figure and determined spirit he walked knowing that his too solid flesh would not be likely to melt thaw and resolve itself into a dew and firmly believing that he was not born to be drowned he carried no umbrella preferring to stand up and fight it out with the storm face to face and because he detested a contemptible sneaking subterfuge of an umbrella pretending to keep him dry and all the time surreptitiously leaking small streams down the back of his neck and filling his pockets with indigo-colored puddles and because also an umbrella would no more have protected a man against that storm than a gun-cottoned overcoat would have availed against the storm of fire that scorched old sodom he placed his trust in a huge pair of waterproof boots and a felt hat that shed water like a duck 
he thrust his arms up to his elbows into the capacious pockets of his coat, drew his head down into the turned-up collar of that said garment, like a boy-bothered mud-turtle, and marched on. With bowed head, set teeth, and sturdy step, the cash customer tramped along, astonishing the few pedestrians in the street by the energy and emphasis of his remarks in cases of collision, and attracting people to the windows to look at him as he splashed his way up the street. He minded them no more than he did the gentleman in the moon, but drove forward at his best speed, now breaking his shins over a dry-goods box, then knocking his head against a lamp-post, now getting a great punch in the stomach from an unexpected umbrella, then involuntarily gauging the depth of some unseen puddle, and then getting out of soundings altogether in a muddy inland sea, now swept almost off his feet by a sudden torrent of sufficient power to run a sawmill, and only recovering himself to find that he was wrecked on the curbstone of some side street that he didn't want to go to. At length, after a host of mishaps, including some interesting but unpleasant submarine explorations in an unusually large mud-hole into which he fell full length, he arrived, soaked and savage, at the house of Madame Prewster. This elderly and interesting lady has long been an oily pilgrim in this vale of tears. The oldest inhabitant cannot remember the exact period when this truly great prophetess became a fixture in Gotham, and began to earn her bread and butter by fortune-telling and kindred occupations. Her unctuous countenance and pinguid form are known to hundreds on whose visiting lists her name does not conspicuously appear, and to whom, in the way of business, she has made revelations which would astonish the unsuspecting and unbelieving world. She is neither exclusive nor select in her visitors. Whoever is willing to pay the price, in good money, a point on which her regulations are stringent, may have the benefit of her skill, as may be seen by her advertisement. Card. Madame Prewster returns thanks to her friends and patrons, and begs to say that after the thousands, both in this city and Philadelphia, who have consulted her with entire satisfaction, she feels confident that in the questions of astrology, love, and law matters, and books or oracles, as relied on constantly by Napoleon, she has no equal. She will tell the name of the future husband, and also the name of her visitors. Number 373 Bowery, between 4th and 5th Streets. The undaunted seeker after mystic lore rang a peal on the astonished doorbell that created an instantaneous confusion of the startled inmates. There was a good deal of hustling about, and running hither, thither, and to the other place, before any one appeared. Meantime the dainty fingers of the damp customer performed other little solos on the daubed and sticky bell-pole, and he also amused himself with inspection of, and comments on, the German silver plate on the narrow panel, which bore the name of the illustrious female who occupied these domains. At last the door was opened by a greasy girl, and the visitor was admitted to the hall, where he stood for a minute like a fresh-water merman, all dripping from the recent flood. The juvenile female who had admitted him thus far evidently took him for a disreputable character, and stood prepared to prevent depredations. 
she planted herself firmly before him in the narrow hall in an attitude of self-defense and squaring off scientifically demanded his business astrology was mentioned whereupon the threatening fists were lowered the saucy underjaw was retracted and the general air of pugnacity was subdued into a very suspicious demeanor as if she thought he hadn't any money and wanted to storm the castle under false pretenses she informed him that before matters went any further he must buy tickets which she was prepared to furnish on receipt of a dollar and a half he paid the money which transaction seemed to raise him in her estimation to the level of a man who might safely be trusted where there was nothing he could steal one fist she still kept loaded ready to instantly repel any attack which might be suddenly made by her designing enemy the other hand cautiously departed petticoatward and after groping about some time in a concealed pocket produced from the mysterious depth a card too dirty for description on which these words were dimly visible madame prewster four eleven grand street number one fifty cents the belligerent girl then led the way through a narrow hall up two flights of stairs into a cold room where she desired her visitor to be seated and then carefully locked one of two doors leading into adjoining rooms put the keys in her pocket and departed before her exit she made a sly demonstration with her fists and feet as if she was disposed to break the truce commence hostilities and punch his unprotected head without regard to the laws of honorable warfare she departed however at last without violence though the voyager could hear her pause on each landing probably debating whether it wasn't best after all to go back and thrash him before the opportunity was lost forever this grand reception-room was an apartment about six feet by eight it was uncarpeted and was luxuriously furnished with six wooden chairs one stove with no spark of fire one feeble table one spittoon and two coal scuttles the view from the window was picturesque to a degree being made up of cats clotheslines chimneys and crockery and occasionally when the storm lifted a low roof nearby suggested stables the odor which filled the air had at least the merit of being powerful and those to whose noses it was grateful could not complain that they did not get enough of it description must necessarily fall far short of the reality but if the reader will endeavor to imagine a couple of oil mills a peck slip ferry-boat a soap and candle manufactory and three or four bone-boiling establishments being simmered together over a slow fire in his immediate vicinity he may possibly arrive at a faint and distant notion of the greasy fragrance in which the abode of madame prewster is immersed for an hour and a half by the watch of the cash customer which being a cheap article and being alike insensible to the voice of reason and the persuasions of the watchmaker would take its own time to do its work and the long hands of which generally succeeded in getting once around the dial in about eighty minutes was this too damp individual incarcerated in the room by the order of the implacable madame prewster he would long before the end of that time have forfeited his dollar and a half and beaten an inglorious retreat but that he feared an ambuscade and a pitching into at the fair hands of the warlike servant finally this last-named individual came to the rescue 
and conducted him by a circuitous route and with half-suppressed demonstrations of animosity to the basement this room was evidently the kitchen and was fitted up with the customary iron and brazen apparatus a feeble child just old enough to run alone had constructed a child's paradise in the lee of the cooking stove and was seated on a dinner pot with one foot in a saucepan it had been playing on the wash boiler like a drum but was now engaged in decorating some loaves of unbaked bread with bits of charcoal and splinters from the broom the fighting servant retreated to the far end of the apartment where she began to wash dishes with vindictive earnestness stopping at short intervals to wave her dishcloth savagely as a challenge to instant single combat there was nothing visible that savored of astrology or magic unless some tin candlesticks with battered rims could be cabalistically construed madame prewster the renowned sat majestically in a windsor rocking-chair extra size with a large pillow comfortably tucked in behind her illustrious and rheumatic back her prophetic feet rested on a wooden stool her oracular neck was bound with a bright-colored shawl her necromantic locomotive apparatus was encased in a great number of predictive petticoats and her whole aspect was portentous she is a woman who may be of any age from forty-five to one hundred twenty for her face is so oily that wrinkles won't stay in it they slip out and leave no trace she is an unctuous woman with plenty of material in her enough in fact for two or three she is adipose to a degree that makes her circumference problematical and her weight a mere matter of conjecture moreover one instantly feels that she is thoroughly waterproof and is certain that if she could be induced to shed tears she would weep lard oil grim grizzled and stony-eyed is this juicy old sibyl and she glared fearfully on the hero with her fishy optics until he wished he hadn't done anything she was evidently just out of bed although it was long past noon and when she yawned which she did seven times a minute on a low average the effect was gloomy and cavernous and the timid delegate in search of the mysterious trembled in his boots at last he with uncovered head and timid demeanor presented his card entitling him to twelve shillings worth of witchcraft and made an humble request to have it honored he had previously while pretending to warm himself at the stove been occupied in making horrible grimaces at the baby and then sketching it in his hat as it disfigured its own face by frantic screams and he also took a quiet revenge on the pugnacious servant by making a picture of her in a fighting attitude with one eye bunged and her jaw knocked round to her left ear when the ponderous witch had got all ready for business and had taken a very long greasy stare at her customer as if she was making up her mind what sort of a customer on the whole he might be she determined to begin her mighty magic so she took up the cards which were almost as greasy as she herself and prepared for business previously giving one most tremendous yawn which opened her sacred jaws so wide that only a very narrow isthmus of hair behind her ears connected the top of her respected head with the back of her venerated neck she then presented the cards for her customer to cut and when she had accomplished that feat 
which he did in some perturbation, she ran them carelessly over between her fingers and began to speak very slowly and without much thought of what she was about, as if it was a lesson she had learned by heart. Each word slipped smoothly out from her fat lips, as if it had been anointed with some patent lubricator, and her speech was as follows. You have seen much trouble, some of it in business, and some of it in love. But there are brighter days in store for you before long. You face up a letter, you face up love, you face up marriage, you face up a light-haired woman, with dark eyes. You think a great deal of her, and she thinks a great deal of you. But then she faces up a dark-complexioned man, which is bad for you. You must take care and look out for him, for he is trying to injure you. She likes you the best, but you must look out for the man. You face up better luck in business. You face a change in your business. But be careful, or it will not bring you much money. You do not face up a great deal of money. Here followed a huge yawn, which again nearly left the top of her head an island. Then she resumed, If you will tell me the number of letters in the lady's name, I will tell you what her name is. This demand was unexpected, for her cool and collected customer replied at random, Four. The she Falstaff then referred to a book wherein was written a long list of names, of varying lengths from one syllable to six and selecting the names with four letters, began to ask, Is it Emma? No. Anna? No. Ella? No. Jane? No. Etta? No. Lucy? No. Cora? No. At last, finding that she would run through all the four-letter names in the language, and that he must eventually say something, he agreed to let his true love's name be Mary. Then she continued her remarks. You face up Mary. You love Mary. Mary is a good girl. You will marry Mary at last. But Mary is not now here. Mary is far away. But do not fear. You shall have Mary. Then she proposed to tell the name of our reporter in the same mysterious manner, and on being told that it contains eight letters, the first of which is M, she turned to her register and began to read. It so happens that the proper names answering to the description are very few, and the right one did not happen to be on her list. So in a short time the greasy prophetess became confused, and slipped off the track entirely, and after asking about two hundred names of various dimensions, from Mark to Melchizedek, she gave it up in despair, and glared on her twelve-shilling patron, as if she thought he was trifling with her, and she would like to eat him up alive for his presumption. Then she suddenly changed her mode of operation, and made the fearful remark, Now you may wish three wishes, and I will tell whether you will get them or not. She then laid out the cards into three piles, and her visitor stated his wishes aloud, and received the gratifying information in three installments, that he would live to be rich, to marry the light-haired maiden, and to effectually smash the dark-complexioned man. Then she said, You may now wish one wish in secret, and I will tell you whether you will get it. Our avaricious hero instantly wished for an enormous amount of ready money, which she kindly promised, but which he has not yet seen the color of. He asked about his prospective wives and children, 
with unsatisfactory results one wife and four children was she said the outside limit at this juncture she began to wriggle uneasily in her chair and her considerate patron respected her rheumatics and took his leave this conference although the results may be read by a glib-tongued person in five minutes occupied more than three-quarters of an hour madame prewster's diction being slow and ponderous in proportion to her size he now prepared to depart and with a parting contortion of his countenance of terrible malignity at the unfortunate baby which caused that weird brat to fling itself flat on its back and scream in agony of fear he informed the madame with mock deference that he would not wait any longer he was then attended to the door by the bellicose maiden who seemed to have fathomed his deep dealings with the infuriate infant and to be desirous of giving him bloody battle in the hall but as he had remarked that she had a rolling-pin hidden under her apron and as he was somewhat awed by the sanguinary look of her dishcloth he choked down his bloodthirstiness and ingloriously retreated End of chapter two